Atlas Bards. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this incredible privilege of gathering together as family. Thank you for ordaining moments in time like this, just precious moments for us to rejoice in. Father, you give us so much to rejoice over, so much joy in this life. It can be difficult, Father, but with a joy set before us, we can pick up our cross and bring glory to you. And in that thing alone, it's all worth it, Father. We do pray for those in the congregation that can't be with us this evening. We want them to know that we're with them in spirit, Father, that we'd like you to return them to the fold as soon as possible. Your will be done, of course. We also pray for those that are still lost in this world without hope, that before it's too late, they be humbled and receive saving faith. Father, we're most grateful and thankful, of course, for your son's work on the cross to cancel out that debt and to make an evening like this a reality. We just ask for your blessings on this evening's message. May it be edifying for our souls. We ask this in Jesus Christ's precious name. By the power of the Spirit, we do pray. Amen. All right, Proverbs 17, Wisdom, Part 25. On Sunday, uh, the following principle, or the following uh, re recurring principle, sort of ran its course up here on the board. The idea that commands require faith for obedience to have its intended result. Commands require faith for obedience to have its intended result. Uh, we considered Abraham's faith, formerly Abram, uh, up here on the board, Hebrews 11, verse 8, where we read um, quite clearly, By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out excuse me, to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And here's the kicker. He went out not knowing where he was going. And that's a fantastic, I mean, that's almost, isn't that really just, I don't want to say this wrong, but faith incarnate, isn't that what faith is? To go out and not necessarily know where he's taking you? That's, what, that's the very essence of faith, of things, we're not, of, of things we can't see. That's Hebrews 11.1. 1. So again, uh, Abraham went out uh, not knowing where he was going. And again, if you're interested in reading about the actual event, read Genesis 12. Uh, here's an excerpt up here on the board, verses 1 and 4 from Genesis 12. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house uh, to the land that I will show you. Again, this harkens back to Hebrews 11.8. The Lord said, I will show you. And he doesn't say any more at this point. I will show you. You just leave. This is a real test of faith. I want you to pick up everything. He's not like, hey, go over there for a day and come back and see what you think. No, he says, gather all your belongings, all your kindred, all your family, and go. This is a, an issue of faith. Uh, my spirit's going to author uh, holy writ over this thing eventually. And that's why we have it in Holy Scripture, right? I will show you. So, verse 4, Abram went as the Lord had told him. Uh, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old 
when he departed from Haran. He was 75 years old. That's not a spring chicken, right? For real. I mean, that's a lot to ask um, a person to pick up everything they've got. You know, we grow roots, right? I mean, that's the, the human way, right? The, uh, we grow roots. And to, for the Lord to ask him, all right, I want you to pick up all your roots, where all your family's at, and just go. Uh, at 75, if you're 25, maybe, right? You might even drag your feet then, but 75 you know, you've kind of grown roots. Um, by faith alone, Abram picked up his entire life and moved from his comfort zone. Again, that's the principle as of late here up on the board. Commands require faith for obedience to have its intended result. This week's blog is titled up here on the board, Fear and Faith. That's this week's blog, Fear and and faith have uh, a few conversations this past week about these two topics because they're not always readily uh, you know slammed together in our souls we don't think of fear and faith naturally um, but the spirit has a lot to say about it uh, he had me author uh, or write a blog um, this week but it, we're also going to talk about this more in depth this evening Again, fear and faith. It speaks to many of this, this blog speaks to many of the same things that the Spirit's been bringing out in our messages as of late. Um, and that is that the reverent fear of the Lord, the reverent fear of the Lord is tantamount to faith in the Lord. Fear in the Lord is tantamount to faith in the Lord. In other words, as the point on the board illuminates, obedience is a function of faith. Obedience is a function of faith, but faith, as the Bible depicts it, you ready? Is wholly dependent on those whom we fear. Let me say it again. Obedience is a function of faith. So if we're going to com obey commands, in other words. Obedience is a function of faith, but faith, as the Bible depicts it, is wholly dependent on those whom we fear. Stated differently, we fear those who have power over us. We fear those who have power over us. So just think about this. What's the Spirit saying? He's saying, if we believe that others have power over us. We fear them. And when they issue, com issue commands, we obey. Is that fair to say? Again, if we believe that others have power over us, we fear them. And when they issue commands, we obey. Likewise, if we believe God has power over us, we fear Him and we obey His commands. You see it? That's the connective tissue. If we believe God has power over us, we fear Him and we obey His commands. These are the two, you know, the powers that be, so to speak. Those are the two opposing powers in this world. You either think that God has the most power or man has the most power. Or some blended version which we all cling to. Uh, we're all on some continuum because we don't have perfect fear. Therefore, we don't have perfect faith right? 
Um, so we're on this continuum between fearing man and fearing God. So those are the two powers that be. That's that power struggle, if you want to speak, think of it that way. Um, the Bible has something to say about this. Go to Romans 8, 28. Romans 8, verse 28. <clears throat> the Bible has something to say about this. Romans 8, verse 28. Romans 8, 28. <clears throat> and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. That's very encouraging. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. What, sh what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? In other words, if we have the omnipotent one for us, who can compete with that? That's the essence of the power struggle, right? We have to believe that God is omnipotent. If we don't, and to whatever degree we don't, we exchange that fear for fear of man or something else. Up here on the board, if God is for us, who can be against us? Also translated, since God is for us, might be a little easier to understand if you read it as, since God is for us, who can be against us? A little more practical. Um, we find our sense of security in those we believe are the most powerful. This is why we tend to submit out of fear to perceived power, regardless if it's godly or not. I hope you get that. This is why we tend to submit out of fear to perceived power, regardless if it's godly or not. We are going to fear someone in this life, and it's either God or you choose. But we submit to the ones we fear, the ones who have power, in other words. If we righteously fear God's power, then we are ever secure. And that's the blessing of submitting to God, to having a godly fear, if you would, of him. Because you believe that he is more powerful and more capable and more able of delivering you than any other option. Or even protecting you or disciplining you. Just overpowering you. That's the point. Verse 31, again. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, the omnipotent, the all-powerful one, who can be against us? It's a rhetorical question. Who can compete with that power? The answer is no one. Verse 32. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? I mean, he has the power to do so, does he not? Yep. 
Verse 33, who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us? Who has that power? No one. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. <clears throat> for I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers, any form of power. Do you see how he's listing out? Power sources? Do you understand? He says nobody can tug us away from him. No one's powerful enough. That's the point. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen? Yeah. Up here on the board, again, if God is for us, who can be against us? Or better yet, since God is for us, who can be against us? We find our sense of security in those we believe are the most powerful. Tis why we tend to submit out of fear to perceived power, regardless if it's godly or not. Uh, if we righteously fear God's power, then we are ever secure. That's the beauty of it, right? I'm thinking of the... Um, Shepherd Psalm, Psalm 23, right? Your rod and your staff, right? Both the discipline and the, the, the cultivating, you see? Um, they both give you security. They comfort me. Just knowing that you're all, the all-powerful one has me covered, for, good, for better or for worse, that's very comforting. And to know that he's the all-powerful one, the one that no one uh, can snatch us out of the hand from, is very comforting. Very, very comforting. So I hope you see the connection between fear and faith. If not, please ensure you read this week's blog. It's literally titled Fear and Faith. I was reflecting on this, though. You know, it's not always that black and white, right? Um, the truth is that this fear, or fear in general, it comes in shades, right? I mean, you're not just all afraid of the world. You're obviously not all afraid of God. Otherwise, you'd have perfect faith. And so you have this sort of this shading of fear. No one has perfect faith because no one perfectly fears the holy God of the universe. You might say, I do, but the truth is you don't. No one fears. No one perfectly fears the holy God of the universe. Uh, does he warrant that fear? Absolutely. Should he have every last iota of our fear and respect and reverence? You bet. But the truth is, we don't fear him enough. Which is why we gallivant off sinning. Right? We, put, we constantly put him to the test, etc., etc. So we have to face it. If our respect, reverence, and fear of the Lord were perfect, we'd only do his commands without ever sinning. Do you see? If our 
fear, our respect, our reverence for him was perfect, we'd never sin. But that's a pipe dream because, frankly, we sin all the time, sadly. But again, why, though? What's the point the Spirit's making? It's because we have imperfect, irreverent fear. Imperfect, irreverent fear, and therefore imperfect faith in the Lord. We have imperfect fear, therefore we have imperfect faith in the Lord. A perfect litmus test of faith is as the Spirit brought out on Sunday. It's the little things. It's the little things, right? We all have, you know, I don't know, I guess uh, Hallmark card moments in our lives, right? Where we're like, remember when I did that great thing? <laughs> Big things, right? Things we can point to. Remember when I went to India and I, you know, had my hand on someone's head and I got to pray over them and there was like a hundred people waiting for me to pray for That actually happened, remember that, Joey? It's like a hundred people praying. Joey's over there, oh, God, this is going to He wasn't doing that. Joey was awesome on that trip, by the way, just so you know. Very, very awesome on that trip. Um, those are big things, I guess, we can point to. So what? What about all the little things? Honestly, what about all the little things? That's what the Spirit brought out um, on Sunday. So let's read the parable of the unjust servant for a little more on this. Go to Luke 16, verse 1. Luke 16, verse 1. The parable of the unjust servant. Again, we're focusing on the little things. So a great litmus test for our own lives is how we approach or how we conquer or how we, quote, do the little things, right? Be doers like uh, what James 1.22, not merely hearers who delude themselves. Luke 16.1, he also said to the disciples, there was a rich man who had a manager and charges were brought to him that this man was wasting his possessions. And he called him and said to him, What is this that I hear about you? Turn in the account of your management, for you can no longer be manager. The manager said to himself, What shall I do since my master is taking the management away from me? I am not strong enough to dig. I am, not, I am ashamed to beg. I have decided what to do so that when I am removed from management, people may receive me into their houses. Okay, so this guy's a shyster, right? Think little things. Um... So summoning his master's debtors one by one, he said to the first, how much do you owe my master? He said, a hundred measure of oil. He said to him, take your bill and sit down quickly and write 50. Then he said to another, and how much do you owe? He said, a hundred measures of wheat. He said, take your bill and write 80. The master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness, for the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails, they may receive you into the eternal dwellings. Here's the point, though. Verse 10. One who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much. One who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much. And one who is dishonest in a very little is also dishonest in much. If, then, you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust to you the true riches? 
And if you have not been faithful in that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one, to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God in money. The Pharisees, who were lovers of money, heard all these things, and they ridiculed him. And he said, to, actually, does that not make you angry? I feel like jumping into the page and punching them. Do you get that? Like, how dare you ridicule my Lord? Like, it's so gross. It's like, do you have any idea who you're ridiculing? It's just so gross. Anyways, verse 15. Obviously, he didn't do anything. Here I am, 2,000 years later, falling all over the place. I'm going to punch somebody. Obviously, <laughs> right? He said to them, you are those who justify yourselves before men, but God knows your hearts. For what is exalted among men is an abomination in the sight of God. Now consider that last statement. For what is exalted among men is an abomination in the sight of God. That's really strong language, don't you think? I mean like really strong language. And it's pretty all-encompassing. It doesn't leave any loopholes. That means that, I mean, if we were to generalize it, today's or modern society, what, what modern society de you know, deems good is actually an abomination to the Lord. Why? Because it lacks integrity to the word of truth. It lacks integrity to the word of truth. Up here on the board, integrity to God is what matters. God's the person who watches how we do all the little things not just the so-called big stuff. How do you spend your life? I mean, that, that parable right there. How do you spend that which you're given? Even the small stuff, right? I mean, what's money on the grand scheme of things? How do you manage your money? Do you, do you, you, know, do you steal it? Do you, do you swindle it? I mean, that's what that guy was doing. I mean, those are just little things, right? How do you deal with the little things? Hmm. Because the person who's faithful in little things is what? Faithful in what? Much. The big things. And so that's the litmus test we have to give ourselves even. Uh, in the parable of the talents, um, Jesus was, says the following up here on the board, Matthew 25, 21. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. Why? You have been faithful over a little. That's why you get this recognition because you have been faithful over the little things. Over the little things. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. So the principle we learned on Sunday was the little things matter to God. So they ought to matter to you. The little things matter to God, so they ought to matter to you. Up here on the board, the little things they say integrity is doing the right thing when no one's watching. Well, God's always watching. And according to Holy Scripture, he's particularly gracious to those who are faithful in the little things. Matthew 25, 21, Luke 16, 10. Now, here's a practical example that Paul wrote about up here on the board. Philippians 2, 12. Therefore, my beloved... As you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence. 
In other words, instead of being in the presence of an apostle, you know, the big thing, look at how I impressed the apostle. I was ready and able, and, you know, I served him when he was here, blah, 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 and I, I did good while he was here, and then he was here a week, and then he left, and then I turned to, you know, I went right back to all the terrible little things that I do. But I did do that one good big thing while Paul was here. In his presence, I did the good things. As soon as he left, well, hey, you know, while the cat's away, the mice will play, right? I mean, come on. That's, that's what's going on. Not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence. And don't miss that phrase, much more. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. So I was thinking about that as well. You know, when, you're, when your boss is talking to you, think about it this way. When your boss is talking to you, all you can do is listen, right? Um, I mean, if you uh, I mean, there's no actual work commencing at that point, other than maybe he's, he or she's teaching you how to do something. But in that moment, strictly speaking, there's no, you know, there's no actual, like, you know, work getting done. Let's say it's a physical job. There's no work getting done. Because you're there talking, you're in the presence of the authority. If you're going to plow a field with, say, a tractor, the field isn't getting plowed while you're learning how to operate heavy equipment, right? So in that sense, it's when your boss leaves, you go about your labor, that you actually do more than in his presence. much more in my absence. I'm going to come, I'm going to teach you, and then when I'm gone, I need you to do much more in my absence. After I'm done teaching, it's like I tell you guys for, what, a decade now, right? This isn't the big job. This, this is not where it all happens. It's all the little things you do out there. It's all the stuff that you, that you string together throughout a week, throughout a day you know, that matters out there. And that's what God is looking for. Not, it's great that you came to church. You know, it's great that you were learning the word of God. But you get a proper perspective. It's not what happens in here. This isn't the main event. The main event is out there. That's the point. In religion, this is the main event. I went to church. I got dressed up. I, you know, rubbed my rosaries or whatever. You know, I did that thing and said, you know, repetitive prayers. And I did some up-downs and all that kind of... That's religion proper. So going to church is what matters. But the reality is what matters to God is out there. The phrase much more implies integrity in the absence of those in authority over us. And speaking of integrity to the word of truth, every Sunday morning a lot of so-called Christians gather together for service. And yet the Bible teaches us something very peculiar. Go to 1 John 2.19. 1 John 2.19. Speaking of integrity to the word of truth. This really uh, puts a, uh, what, a wallop, I guess, on religion. 1 John 2.19. A lot of people go to church just saying, what did John have to say? 1 John 2.19. He said, they went out from us, but they were not of us. They were with us. They came to church with us. They fellowshiped with us in uh, the, uh, a human way, 
right? This kind of a thing. But they were not of us, for if they had been of us, uh, uh, they would have continued with us. But they went out, that it might become plain that they, are, they all are not of us. In other words, not everyone who's a member of a church is an actual believer. There are a lot of people that gather together every Sunday in the biggest churches around the world, and they're not believers. They're only going through the motions, you see. The sad truth up here on the board, good actors. Hollywood isn't the only source of actors. Look around you. They are everywhere, and some of the most gifted thespians are Christians. And I don't mean believers. I mean Christians. In my heart, those are pretty much two different things right now. There's overlap, obviously. There are believers in Christianity, but not every Christian is a believer. Not by today's standards, you see. There are a lot of good actors The point the Spirit's making is that authenticity matters to God, where integrity is the substance of it. So concentrate. This came out on Sunday as well, up here on the board. This is much more practical. Uh, When you can't claim blessings. You can't proclaim you're blessed by something that is ill-gotten. This is about integrity. If the things you got were a... Um, a result, a direct result of fearing man, let's say. Well, I'm afraid I'm not going to measure up. So I'm just going to, you know, I'm going to cheat a little bit on my taxes. I just need that little bit more. I'm afraid, I'm, I'm afraid mom and dad are going to think less of me, so I'm going yeah, I'm I'm to do a little shady business dealing for a while. Just so nobody thinks less of me. Really? Where is your fear? Your fear is in loss of reputation, which really is the exact same thing as saying you fear man. You fear what? (laughs) His or her opinion of you? What, are we in high school? You're afraid of what someone thinks of you? Other than the Lord? The quicker you can jettison that, my friends the freer you're going to be. Just who cares what other people think? You know, opinions are like, everyone's got one, right? Why is Lois laughing? (laughs) Right? Everybody's got an opinion. Everybody's always going to have an opinion of you. I think I shared this a long time ago. Not that it matters, but it's 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 a neat little thing to remember. And it's statistically proven um, through polling and what have you. Um, if, if you were to present, anytime you get in front of a crowd, even like this one, um, say you get in front of 100 people, I forget the exact statistic, but like 15 of them are just not going to like you. You could literally be the most likable human being in history. And 15 of them just won't like you. Right? If that's... Okay, so what do you do? Do you spend your whole life worried about those 15 people that no matter what? Because then you're like, I spent all my time, I got 15 people to finally like me. Then you go to the next audience, and guess what? There's 15 more. And so you what? You spend the next day or two until the next time. You spend all your time worried about the 15 people. that They're not going to like you no matter what you do. So just get over it. Just get over it, right? 
don't compromise your integrity to cater to those 15 people. That's their problem. When someone doesn't like you, it's their problem. Remember that. Integrity implies being faithful in all things, not just the big stuff. That's the point. Doing the so-called big stuff so everyone can see and then you know, going right back to ungodly little things is hypocrisy at its best. Just doing things for the sake of, you know, visuals uh, or just approbation or what have you. Go to 2 Peter 2.22. 2 Peter 2.22. I guess the Spirit's saying, you know, don't be a hypocrite. That's all. Just don't be a hypocrite. If you're going to, you know... It's like I, tr- I tried to teach my boys this. I don't know if it's sunk in or not, but let other people, and the Bible actually says this, let other people sing your praise. If someone else wants to sing your praise, let them. If they don't, let them. But don't sing your own praise, right? That's ugly. There's no need for it. The Bible says don't do that thing. Don't blow your trumpet in public. Don't say, look at how awesome my big stuff is. Blah, blah, blah. Don't, you know, let somebody else do it for you. And if they never do it, so? What do you care? Honestly, what do you care about their opinion? 2.22, what the true proverb says has happened to them, the dog returns to its own vomit, and the sow, after washing herself, returns to wallow in the mire. Don't go back. Don't go back. Again, appear on the board when you can't claim a blessing, you can't proclaim you're blessed by something that is or was ill-gotten. The big thing, you know, in the spiritual life, spiritually speaking, is to finish the course, as Paul would say, right? I just want to, I just want to finish the course. That's like the big thing on the grand stage. But the Spirit's teaching us that it's the journey that matters most. I mean, if you want to get down to it, we all have different finish lines. Even. I mean, some people live a hundred years. How does how that, that finish line's like way over there, right? How's that compare to someone who lives 19 and then gets hit by a car and dies or something? Well, I think the, the finish line is a little closer, don't you think? So it doesn't matter. It's the quality of your life, right? It's the quality. So the Spirit's teaching us that it's the journey that matters most. As we noted with, uh, or in Abraham's case, the journey might be all that God wants to show us in time. That might be the end of it. He might just say, go in that direction. But where to? It doesn't matter. Just go. This is about faith. Do you fear me enough to trust me, to have faith in me? Then go. I don't know. I mean, maybe we'd implode or decide on a different route if we actually knew the end from the beginning. You ever think about that? That's why, if honest to goodness, if magically someone said, I can give you a crystal ball and you can tell your own future at any point in time, I would throw it in the garbage. I wouldn't want to know because I know myself. I'm ridiculous, right? My weakness is control freakishness, right? Oh, no, for real. I mean, I'm better at it now, but oh, okay. oh laugh at me now. Okay. I ain't the worst one in here, just for the record, right? So, you know, it's like, I don't want to know, because if I knew, I'd be like, oh, yeah, I'm going to architect my entire, you know, I'm going to be like, oh. nope, nope, and God doesn't do that. He would hurt us if he did that, because we'd hurt ourselves. 
But it does sound like something humans might do if we knew the end from the beginning. God is smart enough to simply put our faith to the test, allowing our trust in Him to grow over time. Up here on the board, 2 Timothy 4, 7. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. I gave you a little bit more on Sunday. I have kept the faith. Finishing the race might have been the big thing, but keeping the faith along the way was comprised of all the little things. It's all the little things. Like in a microcosm setting, you know, it's kind of like, whoo, I made it to church again, and then there's a few days. What about the, the in-between, right? What's that old saying, right? It's on like uh, gravestones, not the, it's the little dash that matters the most, right? It's not the end point. It's the dash that matters the most. I mean, there's truth in that. It's, there's truth in it. Finishing the race might have been the big thing, but keeping the faith along the way was comprised of all the little things. And I really like that poem, so I'll give it to you again from Helen Annis Castoline. I go on not knowing. I would not if I might. I'd rather walk in the dark with God than walk alone in the light. I'd rather walk by faith with Him. Thank... What does that say? Then, why did I put K in there? Did you do that? Did someone do that to me? Than to walk alone by sight. I'd rather walk by faith with Him than to walk alone by sight. Here's our conclusion from the Word of God up here on the board. Keep it simple. Instead of living a double life where the big things are inconsistent with the little things, Keep it simple by maintaining integrity to the Word of God, where both of these align righteously. Life is just a lot simpler if you've got one thing to hold integrity to. Do you understand? Like, it's just a lot simpler. But if you start, don't do this up here on the board. Don't lie. Don't live a lie. Live honestly and with integrity to truth. Don't lie. Don't live a lie. That is... I've known some of the greatest liars in human history, I think. And um, they also happen to be some of the most brilliant people I've ever met. Honest to goodness, they're all extremely intelligent people. They would have to be. How do you maintain a web of lies without, I don't know, imploding? I don't know, without, without, without having any semblance whatsoever in life. How do you, you have to be brilliant. By the time you're 30, 40 years old, if you're a, like a pathological liar, I don't know, anyways, I'm digressing. The point is, don't lie, okay? All that was to say that. Don't lie. Don't live a lie. Live honestly and with integrity to truth. What if you've lived a life of lies up until this point? Some of you are like, ah, oh, crap, that's me, right? Yesterday's gone. Last time I checked, it's impossible to modify it. So what? So you're... You're that person. All right, so you're a ridiculous, you've been a ridiculous liar for decades. I don't know, whatever. Okay, that was yesterday. You know what you can't do? You can't change it. But you are living here in the now, last time I checked. And anybody who's worth their salt, by the way, in this life will say, let's focus on the now. Doesn't mean you can't learn from your past. 
but let's focus on the now. In terms of, uh, you know, being energized to move forward, let's focus on the now. And, you know, for the record, apparently God has seen fit to keep you alive since you're here. So obviously he has a purpose for you. He certainly doesn't want you living in condemnation in the past. Pray. Pray. And then pray some more. And after that, pray even more. Up here on the board, on Sunday, you will make your longest strides while on your knees. You want to grow up spiritually? Pray. Um, what else is there to say about that? I mean, if you want to have any real fellowship with your Lord and Savior, with our Father in Heaven, you've got to make time for Him. You have to make time for Him. Coming to church doesn't cut it. One hour when you're being pelted with all kinds of, you know, language and doctrine and, and uh, synthesizing and everything else, this, this doesn't cut it. This is great. This is where you get trained, right? You're in the gym, Ooh, you know. You've got to have alone time with him. Quality alone time. And there is no, I have never met anyone in my life that doesn't have time to pray. If the, I have almost instantaneous disrespect for anybody who says that. Not that my opinion matters, right? But you know what I'm getting at. Like, it's a lie. It's just a, it's a, it's a farce. It's a, it's a ruse that people tell themselves. Oh, I, I'm too busy. What does that even mean? What do you mean you're too, you're too busy to pray? You're too busy to fellowship with your creator? I mean, you're here because of him. It's not a guilt trip, but you know what I'm saying, right? I mean, how do you possibly say you don't have enough time? Oh, you don't know my life, mister. I have this, I have that. Well, that still, spend, I'll, uh, give me 30 seconds. I'll prove to you. I'll prove to you that you have time. You will make your longest strides while on your knees. All right, we've got to get back to our primary passage in Proverbs 17. and We might actually end a little early tonight. Go to Proverbs 17, verse 1. Proverbs 17, verse 1. Proverbs 17, verse 1. Better is a dry morsel with quiet than a house full of feasting with strife. A servant who deals wisely will rule over a son who acts shamefully and will share the inheritance as one of the brothers. The crucible is for silver and the furnace is for gold and the Lord tests hearts. An evildoer listens to wicked lips. We spent a lot of time on this. Um, and a liar gives ear to a mischievous tongue. So here's where we left off a couple of Sundays ago up here on the board. A person's nature is revealed by the type of advice he accepts, right? A person's nature is revealed by the type of his advice he accepts. Um, the Spirit gave us some additional food for thought on this last time as well, and this comes full circle this evening up here on the board. We have confidence in the things we fear the most. 
just a slightly different spin, right? We have confidence in the things we fear the most. In other words, fear implies we have confidence in the power of the object of that fear. Fear implies we have confidence in the power of the object of that fear. And I hope that makes sense because that's the second time this evening that he's brought it up. Uh, let me give you a few examples just, I don't know, just to help. Do you fear a lion in the wild? To me, that's horrifying. I mean, if I was in like the African jungle and I'm next to like a 800-pound lion, I'm going to, he's not going to go near me because I'm going to smell. He's going to be like, it's a bad one. <laughs> I can just go to that one over there. Something going on with this one, making me uncomfortable. Right? <laughs> Do you fear, why? Because he can easily what? Overpower you and eat you if he likes it. If he wants to eat you, he's going to do it. You can't even outrun him, right? You can't climb a tree. You can't do anything. He's going he's gonna to eat you if he feels like it. That's power. How about do you fear a great white shark circling you while you swim in the open ocean? <laughs> For real, right? He might, I might have the same response. He might go to somewhere else. Why? Same reason. How about this one, though? Do you fear hostile foreign countries? That's an interesting one because it depends on how powerful you perceive your own country to be. But let's suppose you do fear a certain hostile country. Why? You fear it because you have confidence in their ability to overpower you and even cause you personal harm. That's why you fear them. That's why you live in fear of them. Because your confidence is in the fact that they can overpower you. If you didn't think they could overpower you, you would have no problem, right? Just like the lion. If it was a little baby cub, you'd be like, all right, whatever. But it's, if it's dad, you know, you got a problem. You have a lot of confidence that dad can eat you, but the little one can't. And the fear is aligned. Same thing with something like a foreign country or any kind of outside threat, etc. Again, I'm just trying to help you understand the point of the board we have confidence in the things we fear the most. I was thinking about that. What, I think what trips people up is that the word, the very word confidence, doesn't it typically carry like a positive connotation with it? Confidence, you know, like it's, all, it's always this thing, like I'm confident, um, I'm sure, and it's always like positive. There's always like a positive outcome that makes sense to, to confidence or a connotation even. But that's a misrepresentation of the actual definition of confidence because it's, it's only half true. The positive side of confidence is only half of what confidence provides or, or actually is. We have confidence in a lot of things, good or bad. We have confidence, for example, in our eternal security as believers. And that's a really good thing. Amen? Okay. But on the flip side, isn't it fair to say that we also have confidence that if we did not believe, God would most certainly sentence us to the lake of fire for all of eternity? You see, we have equal confidence in both the good and the bad. So you've got to kind of shed 
um, you know, the idea that confidence is only a, you know, has a positive connotation. Concentrate. Our confidence is in the source of power and view. And in that example I just gave you, you know, heaven or hell, it's God. Our confidence is in the source of power and view. And it's on the premise of this power that our fear develops. We fear the things that have power over us. That's essentially what the Spirit's been saying all night. That's where fear and power, fear and faith even, um, combine. So the, it's on the premise of this power that our fear develops. And as the Spirit's been drilling home as of late, the fear of the Lord doesn't exist in the absence of faith in the Lord. Hence a principle from a couple of weeks ago up here on the board, spiritual health and confidence. Fear is among the greatest indicators of spiritual health that we've got. Fear produces confidence. Confidence in the Lord is a very good thing. Again, the generic principle, though, up here on the board, we have confidence in the things we fear the most. All right, that brings us back to our instigating passage. Go to Proverbs 17, verse 4. You still there? All right. An evildoer listens to wicked lips. A liar gives ear to mischievous tongue. An evildoer fears man more than God. That's the underlying principle. Why? He fears man because he believes that man has more power over him than God does. You understand? That's an evildoer. So an evildoer fears man more than God. That's the underlying principle. And that's, I know there's a lot to chew on, and I get it. So I guess, you know, I'll, I'll see you Sunday. But don't forget to read the blog this week titled Fear and Faith. The Spirit obviously has a lot to say to this congregation on the topic of fear and faith. Amen? All right, let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for giving us this time together to fellowship, to learn your word, the word of truth, Father, to be set free by it. Uh, may we have confidence in this. May we continue to fear you righteously, Father, so that our faith increases. We ask this in Jesus Christ's precious name. By the power of the Spirit, we do pray. Amen. Thank you.